0: nor boys, but something in between. Buzz buzz, motherfucker! Welcome to the pod, people. I am more powerful and athletic than you could ever imagine, (laughs) Matisse (laughs) Ben Rossum.
1: I'm five-time tri-state arm wrestling champion, Ben Sheets.
2: I need more donuts. Um, uh, I'm Cleveland Mosier.
0: And... We're talking Cronenberg, our first ever Cronenberg on the podcast. I don't know how we've gone almost two years and haven't reviewed a single Cronenberg film yet. Wait,
2: this is your first? This is our first yeah. Cronenberg Whoa. on the, podcast. Oh, oh, the no podcast. I just thought y'all had done one like before I was here. I mean, like... I've seen most of his films, yeah. and Ben
0: has seen all of them, but this is the first one that we've actually <laughs> talked about on the show, and it's my personal favorite Cronenberg, probably. There's a couple of contenders, but I think it's one of the best. It's We're... definitely
1: definitely up there. I always bounce between this one and Videodrome.
0: I really like Videodrome as well, and I'm also very partial to The Brood. But uh, those are episodes for another day. We're yes. talking about The Fly. Now, we've probably mentioned The Fly on the podcast a couple times. I think we mentioned it in our episode on The Thing last year uh, for our podversary. But this is one of the very few exceptions of a remake being wildly better than the original
1: yes uh we abstained from doing an original remake in fact because i don't know i didn't have much interest yeah yeah i maybe we'll get around to it eventually but this one has so much to talk about that we don't really need to yeah
0: it's based on a film from the 50s i believe Mm -hmm. also called the fly i'm not sure who made that film is Cleveland, do you know that seems um, in your it's, in your wheelhouse? I believe it
2: stars Vincent Price. It stars Vincent stars Price. Vincent yeah, Price. Uh, but who who directed it? I do not know.
0: Um, it's also, I think, based on, uh, a book or a short story in that way. It's very similar to the thing book, uh, turned into forties, fifties era film turned into eighties era film. All we're waiting for is the inevitable fly reboot sometime in the next few years, terrible CG. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
2: that serves no purpose.
0: But as far as I know in the original, um, it just ends up being a man with a fly's head and also a fly with a man's head? Help
2: me! Help me! Help <laughs> me!
0: That's not the case in this one, not with Master of Body Horror, David Cronenberg. Yeah, no, no,
1: no. No. <laughs> no,
0: no, no. He is not a fly, nor is he a man. He is something much worse than both. Yeah. Um, this film stars Jeff Goldblum. Probably the earliest role of Jeff Goldblum that I can think of think of having seen i really a it's astray. a breakout
1: performance oh it,
0: it's a it's a i mean yeah he's he's sure. incredible in this movie yeah.
1: um, um i think gina davis uh does an incredible job too as she the, is uh, journalist yeah. girlfriend kind of character I,
0: I love this movie because it's really a very small cast it's essentially just the three main characters Mostly just Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, and then the other guy who plays the uh, jealous ex-boyfriend, who's also like the editor at what is it, Particle Magazine? Yeah, yeah. Um, he has
1: a license plate that yeah. says Particle. That's those Particle. He's that kind of guy. Uh,
0: so, in a lot of ways, uh, this film is a, a, a character study of Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis and their relationship and. Uh, sort of the the sci-fi horror concept that comes between them. Jeff Goldblum plays Seth Brundle, who is a uh physicist who has developed uh teleportation pods essentially because he uh hates traveling. He hates driving, makes him car sick. Uh, And he hates planes and trains, so why do any of that when you can just teleport yourself instantly from one place to another? Gets a little bit full of himself, and uh, rashly uh, decides to do human testing while he's drunk on himself. And what he does not realize is that in his telepod with him, there is a tiny little innocuous housefly that in the process of teleportation, gets spliced with his own DNA, and the whole film is kind of about his devolution into monstrosity.
1: As they are fused together.
0: As they're fused together into, into Fly, it's,
1: it's truly a simple story, but I think it works so well because of that. It's really kind of a unique premise in horror in that it's not an unknown monstrosity. You right. know what's coming and what's happening. Instead it kind of piles on that dread of seeing this devolution.
0: Right. As soon as uh as soon as Gina Davis notices like the coarse insect hairs growing out of his back, like you can kind of get a good impression of what is happening to him, but at least on your first view, you really don't know the depths that it's going to go yeah uh and man does it does it go down some fucking
2: depths oh yeah it's plundering
0: it's plundering yeah uh, i mean cronenberg is is so good at uh at, at body horror and i think this may be his finest example of it in all of his films videodrome has some really great stuff too but like holy shit the transformation of Jeff Goldblum into Brundle fly is uh, so gross,
1: horrifying,
0: very tactile. Like you can just feel how like slimy he is.
2: I've considered it like the the hallmark for practical effects. You know, like the the standard for, for the fly for, like, and the thing yeah, are
0: like, my, are pretty much my effects. my golden standards yeah. for like.
2: Monster effects, yeah. I'd say the Fly, the thing, Hellraiser, like the yeah. films. They're just to me, it will always be superior. Like to to have it on film, on screen, hundred percent. You can reach out and touch it. It's it is very real. Even when there's like you can you can see a bit of the the puppetry or like the stability of like certain like props. I'll still take it over CG any day. Yeah, um,
0: I mean it's a it's a, a, a somewhat of a tired argument, uh, but course, like yeah. if it's if it's in a room and you can touch it and you can see that the actors are reacting to something that they can physically see Mm -hmm. rather than having to imagine what they're reacting to digitally like even that it just makes for such better performance especially
1: when it's done well oh yeah that's the big
0: thing you know when practical
1: effects are done poorly like it's just a rubber suit true but like the thing is like for example in the fly that's purely a gold standard because you know you get such goopy slimy tactile effects that feel horrifying because they're so real
0: in in this case yeah very true i would argue that i would take bad practical effects over bad cg any day just because there's something about bad practical effects that i find charming yeah it's not necessarily indicative of a good film but, like, if I'm watching a dumb, bad monster movie and the and the effects look goofy and, like, you can see that the suit is made of rubber or whatever and it's, like, bending weird, it's all like, oh, that's kind of cute. <laughs> Whereas, like the Scorpion King in in, in The Mummy too. Uh, That is not charming.
2: (laughs) That is just very bad to look at. Oh, yeah. God, those those effects. Um, I'd say they haven't aged well, but I don't think they were great when they came out. (laughs) They were never good. Um, Yeah. No, there's there's a truth to that. And I think to a certain degree it has to do with the artificiality of CG as well. And so it it feels like cheap plastic as opposed to... Actual cheap plastic. plastic. (laughs) Yeah, which, which I prefer. Or cheap rubber you know at right. least like and you know if there's a guy piloting it there's there's a making aspect of it that you can still enjoy even if it feels false like you can tell it's a guy in a suit it's fun there's a person in there there's a narrative but if it's cheap cg you know what's the story like there there's nothing i can really right. grab there
0: i agree um not the case in this movie at all uh like ben was saying it is truly the epitome of practical effects i think in so many ways Um, What I love about the story that I think differentiates it from other kinds of movies where a person becomes, quote-unquote, infected with something and they turn from human to monster is that in this film, like, because Jeff Goldblum is sort of like a shut-in scientist character, he's not afraid of his transformation. Yeah. If anything, he revels in it.
2: Yeah. there's There's a beautiful arc with his approach to his situation or his, his mentality of his situation. Yeah. At the beginning he, he yeah, he sees before he realizes that he's been merged with a fly, he he thinks that the- being transported made him a superior being
0: that it that it like uh in deconstructing and reconstructing him that it somehow like purified him genetically and essentially turned him into like a superhuman i love that the word
2: purification is so good too right
0: and we and we get and we get a lot of, of of stuff with that with him like just doing this insane acrobatic nonsense uh, in his uh sort of like warehouse apartment uh, slash lab, we see you know as he develops a relationship with Gina Davis that like after he's become fused with the fly that his sex drive is sort of insatiable, like, they're they're having sex for like hours and like he's just not getting tired. We see them going out and him uh, or him going out and arm wrestling that dude in the bar which and snapping is the bone one out. one of the most Ooh, iconic so scenes good. in
1: the movie in my opinion. I love it's that one scene, of the yeah. scenes where when I first saw this movie back in middle school or high school, like it stuck with me.
0: It's great. I I love how how that is like the first side effect of the teleportation, that it's not just immediately him turning into a monster, you know, that there's, like, there's like a, a good aspect of it. It's like, oh, he's enhanced himself and made himself something, you know, better than human, and then there all of a sudden starts to be, like, a very, very dramatic decline.
2: Yeah, and his, there is that beautifully short window where he recognizes that, he is becoming something horrifying and he, but even then he can barely get it out well to he Gina thinks Davis at, at first
0: he thinks he's dying Because he starts having, like, cancerous growths. And his fingernails are falling off. And he thinks that he's diseased, and then he runs the the numbers in his teleportation machine and looks at the records and sees that there are more than one genetic blueprint in the teleportation pod. And then once he realizes that he's not just dying, but that he's, like, his DNA has been fused with an insect, then it just becomes, like something fresh and new to like study and get excited by yeah. one of one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when uh he's in the bathroom and he's like mid trans, uh transformation and like his teeth start falling out. Oh yeah, and yeah. he like o- and he opens the medicine cabinet and he's been like collecting all of the parts of his body that have like fallen off as like vestigial structures. He's got like an ear in a petri dish, and he like adds his teeth to it, and he's talking about as like, oh yeah, I just I don't need these things anymore.
2: More, you know, I'm becoming something more powerful. Uh, that that scene is great. And when when you hear like Jeff Goldblum's voice coming out of this creature, you'd think that it wouldn't work. Jeff Goldblum has such a a specific personality type and like meter of speech. He's so goofy yeah. and charismatic, and he's one of the the best at like that delightfully awkward, you know, sort of sort of character. Like he, he it's why he plays scientists so well. Is he's, he's he has this endearing. Quality and when you hear that endearing voice coming out of endearing, like, such a hideous endearing
0: beast, but also nerdy, yeah, yeah, does that really well.
1: Well, he has such an affectation when he starts transforming that it becomes less gold bloom over time, yeah, and more other, which I really appreciate because it feels like he's transforming in his performance just as much as uh, the, it, yeah. the body. Is I think transforming. so. Like
0: it's. I, I would say he definitely become even before he's completed his transformation. He's he's unrecognizably Jeff Goldblum at a certain point, even in his in his performance and like you said, his speech and his affectation, which is really credit to him as an actor that he can so well hide himself in in the character and the care and it can hide his original character too. I mean, granted, the heavy prosthetics help that a lot when it doesn't look like jeff goldblum it's way easier to to make yourself forget that it is jeff goldblum
2: and he does a great job of like sort of distorting his voice um, yeah also like towards mm-hmm. the end
1: yeah uh, after his teeth fall out he gets like a lispier kind of affectation i'm sure of that
0: and... part of that is also having prosthetics in his mouth yeah. while he's trying to talk <laughs>
2: exactly <laughs> makes it makes it harder for just about anybody for sure regardless it's effective let's see oh uh another while we're talking about how great the the practical effects are uh i do also want to mention how cool the pods look um, I love, I love the pods. Yeah, the yeah, pods are dope. Yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, we're the pod people. We gotta we got to love, we love pods. We gotta
0: talk about the pods. You yeah. can't not we're, talk about the pods. That, that's crazy. It's very
2: on brand. They're <laughs> like, uh, I
0: love, yeah, I love the design. They're like sort of, uh, ribbed eggs. Yeah. They're, they're like almost, almost Giger-esque. Like they're not, they're not quite organic looking enough to be, to be like Giger, I, but it gives me. I'd say Giger-esque. It gives me a little bit of the for sure. vibe. I, uh, I I love that that apartment set of his that he had that is just like he lives and works in the same space like his apartment is his lab Dude jealous on,
2: I was jealous as hell.
0: He's sleeping on a pull-out couch uh but he has like a kitchen and everything um Yeah, it's a
2: fucking rad studio apartment. It's well, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's
0: it's literally in a warehouse like we yeah. uh, like when he's first taking Gina Davis back to his apartment at the very, very beginning cuz he meets her at like a at like a, a science conference and she's a journalist and it's like kind of weird that he's taking her back to this like warehouse mm. in like the middle of the night it's like ooh, what's going on here did they and say it's like, like
2: where it is yeah. it's in new york but like is it in like brook like it looks like a brooklyn like warehouse uh, is, it the,
0: is it in is it in yeah i
2: thought it was I, in chicago Oh, is it in
0: chicago i'm well cronenberg is a canadian filmmaker so Good I drama. know I know he's made a lot of his films he shot a lot of his films in Canada. The point is i don't
2: think it's cheaper too
0: i don't think the uh i don't think they ever explicitly state the location it, it is, reminded it me is of a lot of like city. warehouses I've, yeah. you know been yeah. to in
2: Brooklyn it is a city um,
0: yeah you spent a lot of time in warehouses in brooklyn
2: i mean i, I have yes <laughs> 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 But uh, that's a story for another time it's really cool for it I, I love god I, I just I wish I could live there it, it, it's that that's my ideal like like honestly pull out a couch at all like it's, it's great <laughs> just being able to work on my project like all day I you mean, know in a big space you basically that's, have that already yeah, it's like, true live I in a now. studio
0: apartment where you also work <laughs>
1: You just want a warehouse. You just want it. And- I just yeah. want bigger.
2: Yeah, a I just bigger. want more. Yeah, that's yeah. fair.
0: I I love too because like once once he's you know starting to become brundlefly and he realizes that he can like that he can like crawl on the wall and the ceiling like a fly. There are sev- There are a couple of scenes where he is like crawling on the ceiling and like it's obviously just a. They, they built that set and rotated it, or they built it upside down so he can crawl on it. Yeah. Because, like, that's not, that's not a, a digital or, or a effect or anything. Like, it is a... Uh uh it's a practical effect and it's so good too it looks great and also just like the i i just kept being blown away by like the complexity because it is a warehouse you know you've got like all these beams and pipes and you've got like the skylights and stuff like that and to to like construct that kind of set just for like two or three long shots where like jeff goldblum is like crawling around on it like just go on the extra mile. Oh, I yeah, yeah I, I have so much appreciation for that. You know, it's
2: crazy. Like attention
0: I'm, to detail.
2: I'm I'm such a sucker for like analyzing those sorts of effects, and I I didn't even think about it. Like I didn't even think about like how they were how they were setting up that sequence. Like it's I mean it's I didn't, very I didn't, immersive. think about them rotating it. it, I, it never well. It's just so me.
1: well executed. Yeah, right. Like no, it definitely so doesn't look like yeah. wire
2: work. And if it is, it's extremely. It's well not. Done, it's yeah. not
1: wire
0: work. Like it's. It's either a set that they've built that they could rotate, or they built a set upside down yeah. as the ceiling. Incredible. Either, either or, either way, like it's it's a it's such a well done effect. Um, and I mean, he's a fl- he's a fly man, so of course he's crawling around on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. I will say one of the things we never get uh, in his transformation that I kind of wish we did is he never grows wings. I always thought that that would be cool if the fly had. The fly man had wings. Oh, Even if it I, don't work, my, my
2: concern would be I. Even if he doesn't, I'm, I'm not supplies. saying I want to watch
0: him flying around. Yeah.
2: Just like shitty wings. But I want
0: him to grow. I want him to grow. Some I wouldn't wings. be
1: surprised if in the fly two.
0: Oh, yeah, if it's a CG There's one, yeah. There's some wings in there. No, for sure, it'll be buzzing around. And... <laughs> oh, no, I mean,
1: there was an actual Fly sequel. Oh, that Fly yeah, sequel. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah, you yeah, meant yeah. the
0: inevitable reboot oh, like we were well, talking about earlier. Oh, that
1: too. I'm kind of yeah, glad the sequel, they didn't have of... wings because I feel like it could easily oh, be man. over the top.
2: I think it would cool. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried wings and, and... and cut them, you know, like, literally yeah. like, took them out. Off. Yeah. Like, my concern, yeah, is, like, it wouldn't... It would have felt too much like a like too a butterfly. Fly, and know, not kind of nothing. Not, like, nah, I, think, I think it would've been, you know? would been cool. His all I needed was was the, the sequence with his, his face melting off. That's oh, which my, is great. That's yeah. one of my favorite horror shots of all time. Like it's same. It might be the most jarring thing when I've seen. When the fly face in, in comes horror. out from, uh, beneath, beneath, his from face. beneath his face, yeah, yeah like yeah. his face, like just splits in half. I, I'm it's legitimately scared and terrifying.
0: I'm also very partial to the the part right before that when he uh, regurgitates onto. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, that what is that character's name? Stathis, the boyfriend. It's it's a great scene when we when he reveals that like he can't eat normally anymore he can't eat solid food, um, and we, we've seen him like since the the teleportation he's like eating just insane amounts of of sugary food like he's putting like ten spoons of sugar into his coffee he's always munching on like donuts or candy and stuff like that great little foreshadowing of him becoming a fly.
1: Well, and the regurgitation, it's just so visceral and gross. Oh yeah, yeah, know? it is.
0: I love that, like, Gina Davis' character comes over and he's like, oh, you want to see something? This is really cool. And she's like, no, not really. Yeah. And he's <laughs> like, he's like, I, I can't eat solid food anymore. I tried and it made me sick. So now, like a fly, I have to regurgitate on my food. He just has, like, a pile of donuts He just, like, throws up onto it and just, like, dissolves. So it's like, oh, it's so gross. Like, it's gross enough that flies do that, but, like, a person throwing up acid onto their food so they can slurp up the
2: liquefied goo. The most terrifying part is how he's not appalled by it. Right. Like, no, he, he's, his lack of fear. He's... he's that's what I love so much yeah. about the
0: character is like like I said he, earlier he he's he's reveling in his transformation. He's so fascinated by by the the implications of what's happening to him and the chance to to study and learn from it that he doesn't he completely overlooks the fact of like how horrifying and monstrous it is well
1: going off of that like Cronenberg has such a fascination with the sciences in Uh his films this movie kind of plays into a theme he uses over his career about you know science often focuses on what you can do rather than what you should Should do do. very much you know and this is kind of expressing like the dangers of exploring what can be done without regards of what the consequences for that can be
2: and from like a psychological or world building perspective it makes sense too because as he's becoming more insectile you know he's he's losing his sense of empathy and so his fear is getting shut off because right. that's, he even, he's becoming an insect.
0: He even mentions something about mm-hmm. that at some point about how brutal the insect life is and how we never think about it because it's so much smaller than we yeah. are, but how insects are incapable of empathy and that it's just about, like, survival. The dialogue
2: and, is so good in that sequence, too, when he tries to warn Gina Davis because yeah. of that. Like, he, he goes in such an offhand way because he's starting to kind of lose his mind at that point. So he's— it's and then, then he's like, trying to get this point across it's to like it's the like, last I'm becoming of, a sociopath, you need to get away from me. Yeah,
0: it's like the mm-hmm. last of his subconscious, like, trying to tell her to, like, run away and not come back. But, but even then he has but, to make it, like, a
2: scientific thing. Right, but even thing. so, like,
0: it's it's something that, like, it's it's just, like, a fun fact, you know? But yeah. it's like, you get the impression that, like, there is Seth Brundle in there somewhere being like, get away, like, this is only going to get worse. Well,
1: that's the thing I love, too, because while he really goes whole into the transformation Mm -hmm. by the end of it, you know, there is still Brundle within there. And that's the scariest part. Yeah.
0: It, it well he he realizes that he's sort of like trapped in himself inside of the this sort of monstrous prison, and that wins over in the very end. the The revelation too that like Gina Davis is is pregnant, nobody really knows like what that baby is gonna be like because it. Obviously has some human fly DNA. I love her nightmare where she gives birth
2: to him yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, normally um, not one for dream sequences, but man, it, oh. Cronenberg that's a has good one, such yeah. a, a good sexual one. fascination as well. Oh my God. And Yeah, it's
0: that's that's maybe it's the most segue. the most Cronenberg scene in the entire yeah. movie. I love how it's it's also like a dream sequence where it's like a true subversion of it being a dream sequence because she, you know, she realizes she's pregnant before that. And then she realizes what like Seth is becoming. And she's talking about like, I, you know, I got to get an abortion. I don't want to have whatever this thing is inside me. I don't want to give birth to this. And then it like cuts to, like her later giving birth and then it is just like a maggot and then she wakes up from it and it's like you think that that's actually what is happening it's not it's not like an obvious dream sequence which i really like because so often dream sequences are like the most obnoxious too. Out. It's, yeah. well
1: yeah i mean in a traditional dream s- sequence they just don't have stakes often right but oh, this frames it really well. Yeah, yeah this like one, that. it feels like there's stakes because you think, oh, yeah, she's just getting an abortion. Right. You know, it feels like it could be real.
0: Right, yeah, mm-hmm. they they imply that it's that she's not even giving birth. That it's the that's and you know she's going to get the abortion, and then something is going wrong, and then you see the doctor, who little fun little cameo by David Cronenberg, uh, just like pulls out this writhing maggot infant thing. It's like ah no fuck this, and then she wakes up, and uh, then like after having that nightmare, it's like. That's really an excellent way of putting us into her shoes and like giving us a way to empathize with what she's feeling. It's like, oh yeah, you definitely don't want to have that baby. No. Because it might, it probably is just going to be a a maggot or something. That's,
2: I think the most horrifying thing about that dream sequence is that it, could still be the case, yeah. We, and we don't, and we never learn whether that is what it is or right. not. And that, ooh, ugh, ugh.
0: I. What I love too is to to circle back around to like the the brutality of uh, of insects and the nature of of creatures like that. Is that they are really driven by two primary instincts, and that is to feed and to reproduce. Like there, there's not much more than that. And we get a great representation of that in Jeff Goldblum, because after that dream sequence, like he very much becomes obsessed with her not getting the abortion. Like he has to ensure the procreation of, of that, of that child. It, it turns into something else with him wanting to fuse the three of them together. Like that's his ultimate plan to minimize the deg- the amount of fly DNA to try to make a more perfect being. but still like the, the sort of like fierceness with which he's determined to protect his offspring is very insectile as well.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. It makes for a really powerful shift of motive. That it's the perfect um, amount of pacing to keep the plot motivated towards him still being a, an immediate threat. Yeah, I love that. And Do you want to talk about the the social the social aspects of this film? And like sure, the, sure. Go the, for that's, it. That was a big point I wanted to bring up is that this film doesn't just visually make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, it does a fan-fucking-tastic job of making you feel um, socially uncomfortable as well. The whole relationship between Gina Davis and her, uh, her ex-lover, the editor of the... the Stathis. Of of Stathis, (laughs) is wretched. I, I, I hated all of it. Oh yeah, he's really Well, not just him, but her, too. Like, I hated the way she treated that situation, and in all the right ways. It's fantastic. Like, her character is, uh, is not just played up as, like, the ideal heroine. The film is extremely aware of building up her flaws, And when they were first introduced in the film, I was actually kind of pissed off at the movie. Because I was like, oh man, that's like... Really fucking sexist for her to, like, not just, like, want to deal with her abuser and, and whatnot. Like, no, it makes her a very powerfully flawed character. And, oh, God, it made me feel so scuzzy when, like, she kind of goes along with it and, like, lets him keep her key to her apartment. Oh, doesn't yeah. Doesn't just tell him to fuck right off, like, all the time. Well, I
0: mean, another thing... Because he just con- keeps being skeezy at her, and he keeps, she
2: keeps, like, tolerating it. He's also, oh.
0: her, he's also her employer. Yeah, that's as the as thing. Well. Yes. So, he's he's like, your boss. She, she might not necessarily be happy with with it but she chooses that it's not worth it to fight that because he's the editor of the magazine that she works for right so she's trapped she's she's, stuck in the situation which
1: is kind of a motif throughout the movie I, i
0: like that i like that we that we get the context of her meeting him as a student, like, he was a professor of one of the classes she yeah. took in college, and then he offered her the position at Particle, so that, like... So, like, even when they started
2: dating, it was, like... The a power of, dynamic there was, was that, always there. That power
0: yeah. dynamic was always there. He went from being her professor to being her boss. Yeah. Like so awful,
2: just right. just wretched. Uh, but
0: also at the same time that she was willing to exploit that as well, you right. know, for for the the furtherment of her of her own position. Uh, I think that if, all of the characters in this movie are extremely selfish. Yes, uh, I, I love how like realistically flawed they all are. They all have their own vices. There's nobody who is like a true heroic character. Yeah. You know, Jeff Goldblum is good until he's not, you know. Yeah. And like Gina Davis is flawed, but ultimately I think she ends up being Oh, uh, she's still our heroine. She she ends up being the the goodest of them all. And, and even by the end you know I would
2: suppose that she's she is a good person if anything her her greatest flaw is like that she doesn't she doesn't stand up for herself and she allows herself to be abused yeah you know by okay. by both of the men you know in, in this situation and I love it because it it plays up her her personality uh and it justifies why she keeps going back to Jeff Goldblum as he transforms because that in of itself is a very different type of a, of an abusive situation. Well, what are Jeff Goldblum is still a good person, but he's becoming a monster. What I like and about And she tolerates it, him becoming a monster for so long because she's used to dating monsters. It's what she knows. And God, oh, it's, it, it's it's subtly done. it's but, it's, it's. But oh, what it's I great. what I love about the her relationship to both of them
0: is that her tolerance of the abuse is not fear driven in either extent I think like fear is an aspect Mm -hmm. of it but I don't think it's driven by that like she keeps going back to Jeff Goldblum even as he's becoming a a monster because yeah because out of sympathy because she loves him and because she wants to help him you also very much get the impression that she tolerates Stathis's abuse not because she's afraid of him but she's kind of apathetic towards him, yeah. she doesn't really like she doesn't consider it worth it to fight back against his scuzziness, but it also doesn't seem to like really bother her that much. It's just sort of like, ah, whatever, you know, it's not it's not worth mm-hmm. dealing with. She never seems to be a victim. At no point in this movie do i do I feel like, Gina Davis is portrayed as a victim, which I like. Like she always seems to be very much. Or she,
2: like, is, she at least like she is in a in a situation where she is like when she's being attacked by the fly. But even then, she doesn't approach the situation as one. Sure, yeah. she,
0: Like you can you could technically apply the definition of victim to her. Sure, but she's not she's not a helpless character. No, it's not yeah. like it's not like she's torn between. A, a literal monster and a metaphorical monster, and that oh, I just don't know what to do. I can't get out of it. It's like she has. She's very self determined, and she puts up with these things. Because she needs to, yeah. or she perceives that she needs yeah, this to. This isn't
1: fucking Beauty and the Beast, right? No, right. thank God.
2: Is, she's
0: yeah. she's not. She's never a damsel in distress. She kind of is when Jeff Goldblum captures her. And mechanically,
2: she is, but she doesn't she approach the situation right, that way. Right, right. Yeah. Which is just ideal um, uh, for, for this type of film. I think it, it takes a certain progressive mentality to be able to identify those sorts of things. Because, yeah. like, again, when the scene was happening, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, it's your standard fair, like, 80s bullshit. Like, here we go again. And before the film was even done, I was recognizing, as like, no, it's the theme. And it's played up very, very well. All the better for the movie to make me think that during it. Because uh, it made me feel so much more wretched. <laughs> right. Uh, because And, of... and
0: I, I love how, like, Stathis goes to rescue her, but she ends up really rescuing herself. Because, like, Stathis
2: gets... Plus, beauty killed the beast.
0: Right. Right. Um, <laughs> ah. Well, Stathis uh, gets regurgitated on, uh, and it melts his hand and Just his, a his horrifying foot off, scene. which is which yeah. is really gross. Because I like at first, like it almost seems like Seth does it instinctually, like onto Stathis' hand because he's like holding the shotgun. and It melts, and then he like sees that, and then there's kind of like you you can see that uh, inquisitiveness, like oh shit. I can do this. And, like, when Stethis falls over, he sort of, like, leans over his leg, and there's sort of, like, a mischievousness about him, like, regurgitating onto his leg and and melting off of his foot that I find really horrifying. Yeah. Like, he, he seems, like, Seth seems to revel in that moment a little y- bit. Y- you never like, want the monster quite, smiling. That's right, always he scary. He didn't quite realize that he was capable of that, and then, oh, look, I've discovered a new toy, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, yeah,
2: because like your your mental approach to that sequence is you know in in so many films of the same genre and era, like when when the bad guy goes to get killed, you're thinking, oh yeah, cool, I get to see a kill sequence where I don't feel bad about it, and like this guy's such a scumbag, like you hate him the whole movie, but during that scene, no one deserves that. Like he, no sucks. one deserves to have their limbs melted off by he, acid. Like, exactly. he, he
0: sucks, but he's not irredeemable because when he saw this. Mutated beast man kidnapping Gina Davis. Like, if he was really an irredeemable character, he would just been like, "Fuck it, not my problem," and we would have never seen him. Well, to that's a degree, that's the yeah. thing too, because like
2: he does like he, encourage her to keep going back to him well after he knows what kind of a monster sure. it is. Like, he's he's pr- he's, he's a fucking he's miserable he's piece not of shit. he's he, not
0: a good he's not a good guy, but he he does have a certain degree of redemption because he does go to help her. Yeah. When he do- I- when he doesn't have to. At that point, like I said, if he was if he was a total shit, he would be like, "Oh shit, this got guy- this got way more out of hand than I was anticipating. This is something that I'm not looking for. Like I'm the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I find redemption Jeez. an interesting
2: word because I would wonder it's, like it's if not, he had showed up and saved her. It's like not, like he, I don't know if that would have been like enough that, of an act to that redeem. Would have,
0: that would have been gross. I think. If, yeah. Oh, yeah. If yeah he that would had, have been awful.
2: If he had turned into like the knight
0: in shining armor, if she right. had been the damsel in distress, I would have. I would well, not have liked it. But it is to his credit. That he does go back for her. Yeah, well, what, not, what, and, I guess what and, I'm and, trying and, to and say, and he doesn't, and he doesn't save her. Mm-hmm. He ends up being maimed because of her, and he, or not because of her. Uh, he ends up being maimed because of his decision to go back and help her. But he's not like even by the end, you know, like the the lines are kind of blurred. He's he's not.
2: He's not a good character, no. but
0: you do you do still kinda have some sympathy for him in that situation. Oh, you
2: definitely have sympathy for him. I guess uh my only bit is like if, if, if he had saved her, which of course would have been bad. We all agree that yeah, that would have yeah. been bad. But if he had, I just don't think that would have been enough to redeem him in no, no, any no, no, way. No. no. But
0: yeah. my my point is that the fact What's that it? the fact that you do feel sympathy for him in that scene yeah. is is a credit to him having a... a. Kind of redemption because if he was a truly evil villainous character, you as the viewer would relish his destruction because think of how many other films where there is the scuzzy evil villain character who gets destroyed by the monster that he has helped yeah. create or whatever and you're like yeah fuck you buddy mm-hmm. you're finally getting your just desserts you piece of shit exactly. but then in this movie that's not the case at all it's like oh no like you feel bad for him mm-hmm. still it's Why? really
1: a testament to the the writing in such this movie a, because good it's just writing. it's a super complex character Where he's definitely more skeevy than evil, you know. Yeah, he he still has evil tendencies, but he's not. Oh, this evil guy, you know. He's
0: reprehensible, but he's not a cartoon character.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, and and I think that that is that that somewhat extends to all of the characters. Every all of the three main characters have their bad qualities but you can still connect with them on an emotional level, every single one of them. And that's a testament to good writing and good character development. Oh, yeah. It might be a little bit of a uh, a corny uh, mechanic, but I do love how at the end, when um, she escapes from her pod at the last second before the teleportation is initiated, the Brundle fly sort of like crawls half out of his pod and then the teleportation happens and he fuses with the
1: pod. Oh I absolutely I love, love I that I love
0: that. That that's that's not what I'm saying that it's a little bit corny. It's the the after that when it's like that is his downfall. He has become a third man, a third machine, a third pod. <laughs> um where he uh
2: the, the, Tetsuo, the, 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 the Brundle Fly Tetsuo the Brundle, the brundle Man uh, yeah. Tetsuo the Brundle Man when
0: the monster de- reveals the last bit of his humanity by with his claw grabbing the the barrel of the shotgun and putting it to his head to be put down old yeller style by uh, Gina Davis well the it, reason it's
2: effective is because like it's it, a corny mechanic it's very but, believable but
0: in that case it's very believable and the fact that you've spent so much time with a all of these characters, and you're seeing this culmination of all of them together. This being the ending of the love story between Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis is him as unrecognizably human. You know, begging to to be put out of his misery. Well, yeah, and on it's, top
1: of that, it's impactful. Considering he's like. A third, just metal Machine, yeah. chunk at I mean, this he's, point. he's gonna he's, like, gonna
0: he's gonna die. More
1: the more than even Brendel he probably felt like he was dying because yeah. a third of him is literally well, no, dead. He was, you he, know, he
0: realistically he probably wouldn't have survived that. You know, it's asking for the mercy killing, and and the fact that his lover has to be the one to do it, and that she, even though she's she's not happy about it, that she does still do it. Is uh I think a, a very satisfying conclusion. Very much. So. I, I love how uh to just sort of like generally address the entire structure of the film. But yeah, there one. is that there is no fat at all in this movie. It is like, it is such it is such a lean story in the sense that it starts at that party for particle and they Jeff Goldblum immediately meets Gina Davis in the first 2 minutes of the film and takes her back to the apartment to show his uh his experiment And
1: then. They do a great job setting up the danger of the pod quickly. Right. When they get the monkeys. Oh, um, yeah, that's another great scene. We didn't talk about the monkeys, yeah.
0: No, we didn't. When they first try to transport uh, organic material in it, he has a baboon.
2: It's probably like the only bit of like kind of weird world building with like. Jeff just keeps showing up with monkeys. With, with baboons. like
0: Where does he get these? It's like the scientific...
2: You st- the market's you start with flooded. Mice. You start with, like... My, yeah, we are making that joke. Yeah, the market's flooded with baboons! <laughs> they can't yeah. sell them quick enough. They can't get rid <laughs> They're of them! are giving them, them away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Yeah.
2: uh no, mice needed! We got baboons! <laughs> uh
0: We can come back to that, but my 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 point is that, like, it starts with the party immediately getting us into the story, and then, like... Immediately after she shoots Brundlefly in the head and he dies, roll credits. Yep. There's no fat whatsoever. Well, Fly's dead, like, movie's the, done. The, the the film never once strays from its core story. Yeah. It's, and it is it is continuous beginning to end, no fat whatsoever. Like there's not a scene that I would cut in this movie. I think it's the absolute perfect use of time for
1: Absolutely. Film. And I think even scenes like the the monkey scene where we get them trying to teleport this baboon and it comes oh, through that's great. just yeah. inside out, kind of does a perfect job setting the stakes. In a lot of ways, right. you know. Well, I, I, for what's I, to come?
0: I, yeah, it's it sets up the, the the danger of the body horror immediately. But even I, I love the problem solving and trying to figure out like how do we properly transport organic material? Like we have to figure out how to convince the computer to reconstruct the the particles perfectly I love the the bit where he puts the steak in there or how ha- he cuts a steak in half and puts half of it in the teleportation machine transports it cooks both has Gina Davis taste them and she's like okay this is a regular steak ooh this one doesn't taste right there's something synthetic about it that is a, a really great scene I also really love how the whole impetus for him deciding to teleport himself is almost like a comedy of errors in the sense that like he wants to celebrate that he's figured out how to transport organic material he's like let's get chinese food and let's get drunk and you know we'll have a good time and gina davis is like you know what, no, I'll be back in a few hours, I have to deal with something, because she wants to go, like, permanently end things with status. Well, because and, like
1: she sent the magazine with right. Jeff Goldblum's face on the cover. Right, it. right. It's like blackmail. She she yeah. wants
0: she wants to go deal with that and be like, because cause that's at the point where she realizes, like, she's in love with Seth, and the only way that they can, you know be good moving forward is that she has to end things with status she has to really like decisively end things with status and she goes off to do that and jeff goldblum thinks that because she's doing that that she's out like cheating on him or something he gets jealous and he gets drunk and then he's like you know what fuck it I'll just teleport my like we'll just move right to Human Trials who gives a shit. You know, and then that's the whole inciting incident for the for the entire thing. It's like, nah, man, if you had just if you just trusted your girlfriend and let her like do her thing and come back, then none of this would have happened." It's it makes the whole thing really really more tragic because as a character, as a scientist, he knows better and it's when he lets his emotions get in the way when for the one moment in the film that he stops being rational and he stops being scientific and lets his emotion take over that's like the the beginning of his downfall like the yeah. the the key turning point
2: it's great love it so well written I would, would hate to let this episode end without uh, mentioning the fucking phenomenal soundtrack by Howard Shore. Yes. Yes, I was,
0: my boy, Howard Shore. I, I was, the score is awesome. I excellent. was
2: extremely surprised when the opening credits rolled and it said soundtrack by Howard Shore. I'm a huge Howard Shore fan. I mean, who isn't, right? And like, Right. Uh, no, I am, too. I was, I was just not expecting like, him to do a film like this. And it is, it is such a cool pick. Because I mean, it's all orchestrally worked up, and those couple of sequences where they play up like the the repeating string rhythms that kind of like oscillate in and out, and they uh, they feel like like a fly almost uh, uh, buzzing, but it's it's subtle, it's, it's not overblown. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck, I love it.
0: You know, you know, Howard Shore did the score for Silence of the Lambs as well. Mm-hmm. He is man's like, a pro. He's and I mean, this was this was well before Silence of the Lambs, but like he's he's not. Uh, He's not unfamiliar to the to the horror genre. Most people will probably always know him as the composer for the Lord of the Rings films and probably my first real exposure to Howard Shore and probably still my favorite score of his because, like, how can you not love the Lord of the Rings score? But, like, dude is an incredible composer. And I'm, thank you for mentioning that because I... Of I, course. I, I yeah, had honestly, had, honestly, I, I was just going to put that
1: as an addendum in my uh, in my rating... Um, but I'm yeah. glad we talked about it for no, a little so bit good. I think it's excellent Well since, you know?
0: we're, since we're pretty much wrapping up Why don't you start Okay sure yeah
1: So Cronenberg uh, is definitely one of my favorite directors I think body horror is uh, Usually one of the scariest Types of horror in my opinion Totally um, I think the practicals are so excellent In this movie um, Like you said Tease This movie is structurally just so tight I love the kind of anti-technocratic message in this you know of yeah. the dangers of science and technology gone too far the music is just excellent um all of the acting is excellent this is honestly the gold standard for horror movies and it's one of my all-time favorite horror movies um i'm glad we're finally covering it it's a five out of five it's a it's an obvious five out of five
0: Yeah, I I don't have much more to add with that. It is truly the gold standard. I couldn't say exactly what place it occupies, but it's easily within my top ten horror films of all time. Uh, It's probably my favorite Cronenberg film, uh, which is saying something, considering how fucking stacked his filmography is. Uh, It's it's really a, a perfect film from... Every standpoint from writing, performances, cinematography, practical effects, just legendary, uh, soundtrack, uh, and score, um, it's going to be a, a perfect five out of five for me as well. No hesitation there.
2: Yeah. Same. Go ahead and mark it down. It's five out of five. I, I just can't get that uh, shot out of my head when it's, like, tracking down his body after he leaves the pod. And we just get those, that beautiful, like, wretched, like, biopunk, you know, cables and stuff and Ooh, fuse yeah. in his flesh. Uh, and, and again, like, the sequence where his, his face splits is, yeah, just one of the most horrifying things I I have and will likely ever see in horror. Um it's a 5 out of 5, it's a 10 out of 10. It's a good movie, I'm uh... It's a I'm, goddamn good film, yeah. and
0: it joins the hallowed halls of the Golden Pods with a perfect unanimous 5 out of 5 rating. If for some reason you're a horror fan and you have not seen The Fly, what are you doing? <laughs>
2: <laughs> why are you listening to these fucking Why are you listening to
0: us? Go watch what? The Fucking Fly, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Um, I can't say more than that. It's a fucking perfect film. Uh, Cronenberg is king. And this is the first Cronenberg that we're talking about, but there's no way that it'll be oh, No, no, absolutely not. not. Uh, so that'll, that'll wrap that up. Now, before we close the episode, it is time, the moment we've all been waiting for. We have the results of the Rotten Tomatoes score and opening weekend box office of Child's Play, which will determine the mid-year winner of our prediction contest and who will decide the three films that we talk about for our mid year catch up next week.
2: When you started setting that up, is the moment we've all been waiting for, et cetera, et cetera. I thought you were talking about the sponsorship and you made me very. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Um, uh, I'm also going to say that this episode is sponsored by Ben. Here you go, Ben. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Perfect.
1: Um, so, yeah, we're about midway through, about halfway through our predictions. I think this one's just over half, considering there's a couple of movies that have been pushed back. Just to recap, Cleveland, you had four points. Points, yes. And Matisse and I both had five, so it's neck any and neck. Man's, any man's game. Um, so first, I'll start with uh, the box office opening weekend. Okay, what were um, our predictions first for Child's Play? Uh, the opening weekend predictions. Uh, Matisse, you had twenty-five million. Okay. Uh, Cleve, you had eleven million, and I had twenty-nine million. The opening box office results. Were fourteen million. <gasps> Cleave! Oh shit! So oh, we're in a three. three so there's way a three-way tie. Oh my, god. Five, oh my god! Five, five, five.
0: Oh, fuck. And Woo. there's one point left to be distributed. Oh so my god, score. guys! Holy I have shit. something
1: shocking right now. Okay. okay, so we were originally planning on doing this episode last week. Uh huh. And I had pulled the Rotten Tomatoes number. From last week. Okay. Um. So just to recap: Tease, you guessed fifty-five. Oh, jeez. Um, Cleve, you guessed forty, and I guessed sixty-three. I'm actually, in the race now, I'm really. i um, god. So when I compiled the scores last week, okay, it was sixty. Oh shit. Whoa. Which puts me winning it by one. However. Oh. I checked the Rotten Tomato score.
0: That was before the end of opening weekend. Yes. Okay.
1: I oh checked the Rotten Tomato score an hour ago, and it's gone down to 59. We have a tie. Whoa. We have Holy a shit. tie. Six to five. Right Damn. there. Oh yeah. my god. Holy so, shit. because of that, I'm going to give you guys the option here. Okay. We can either. Each pick one movie and then agree on a third, or we can just do two movies next week.
0: How about this? I have an alternative. Since it was so close, why don't each of the three of us choose a film? Okay. I'm in that. I'm sure. really why, in don't, that. why don't we do that? Because that was a really close race, and Damn. even with a split tie between the two of us, Cleve is just one point behind. So I'm I'm okay with let each, each of the three of us choose a film. And that way it can be truly catered across the three of us. Um, We will not reveal those now because we obviously need to pick our films. Next week's episode will be a surprise, but it will be our official 2019 mid-year horror catch-up episode and we will be reviewing three horror films from this year that we have not seen or talked about yet. So the hype is real. Get ready and tune in next week for that. And uh, I'll just wrap us up by saying, if you like the show, leave us a five-star rating and a friendly review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod if you so choose. Uh, Check us out on Letterboxd if you have a Letterboxd account uh, at backslash pod people pod for the list of all the films we've talked about on the show our average ratings and links to those episodes. And if you don't have a Letterboxd account and you're a film lover, I would recommend it. It's a great way to track your films. I've been tracking every single film I've watched since 2013. So it's a really fun thing to do, so I would recommend it. We are not sponsored by (laughs)
1: Letterboxd.com.
0: You can follow me on Twitter
2: at MrVanAwesome.
1: I'm at MrSheets.
2: And I tweet for Light Arc Studio.
1: Speaking of which, yes. our game, we're It Stairs Back out. is out in early and, access woo-hoo. and the feedback we've gotten so far has been overwhelmingly positive. So it's really a blessing to see. Please check it out. Um, we'll be adding more content to it as the days pass. Um, we're already planning our, our next big update. Yep um so stay tuned for that
0: that's uh that's about everything if you if you like horror or real-time strategy or high fantasy or science fiction we uh cater to all of those things in it stares back so if you're a gamer check that out we would really appreciate it it's only six dollars on steam yeah
2: 99 and everyone says it's a hell of a deal so don't listen to us listen to the everyone who says that yeah it's just really gratifying too you know it was Yeah, we spent a lot of time discussing that Mm. so uh,
0: definitely check that out or even if you're not a gamer if you have friends or loved ones who are tell them to consider looking at it You know, we'd really appreciate that that should bring us to the end of this week's episode next week is the Mid-Year Catch-Up we're all so excited for that and uh, we can't wait to share that with you hopefully it will be better and less exasperating than last year's (laughs) Mid-Year Catch-Up so until next time Just take a bus. Don't teleport yourself.
1: (laughs) Just walk. Just walk.
0: (laughs) Just ride your bike. Anything. Yeah. What are you doing? Bye.